Have you ever absolutely panicked after you accidentally deleted a file on your computer? I know I have. It's not an issue if you've got CrashPlan Smart Recovery. Your files are just a few clicks away and can be restored in a snap. CrashPlan provides the best cloud backup solutions in the market. Visit CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year of CrashPlan. Now you can protect all your work with an unlimited backup and recovery solution. CrashPlan makes it simple to restore some or all of your data. And with unlimited version retention, CrashPlan can be your ultimate rewind button. Get unlimited computer backup for you or your business with CrashPlan Professional. CrashPlan backs up files that live on your computer and works with PC, Mac, and Linux. Don't let data disasters slow you down. CrashPlan has your back and keeps you moving. Go to CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year of CrashPlan. That's CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year. Back up better with CrashPlan. So welcome to part two of this sort of initial Think Creative Collective interview session. We just wanted to give you a little bit of background as to what we did before that I think will add a lot of value to businesses in the early stages. And some of the really important lessons we learned before we morphed into what Think Creative Collective is today. So today I'm going to be interviewing Emily and a little bit on of her background on photography and how she kind of learned the ropes of business and how that can add immense value for people just starting out, not to mention her super savvy secrets on in-person sales. So are you ready to get started today, Emily? I am so ready. Woohoo! <laughs> All right. So I want to jump straight in and I want to give people a reality check. So word on the street is you graduated college. I did do and, that. And you came out in the middle of a recession and you couldn't get a job anywhere. Yeah, so, that was super fun. Yeah. So what did you do? Well, so I graduated college and I had actually just gotten accepted into graduate school because let's just put myself into more debt. That sounded like the right answer. And two weeks before I was going to start that part of my life, I said, nope, I'm not going to do it. So I had like a moment of crisis and moved in with family and... Didn't know what I was going to do. I applied for job after job after job. Literally. What kind of jobs? Oh, every job. I am clearly meant to be an entrepreneur because my degree is in fine art photography with a minor in psychology and a minor in multicultural studies. That's normal. That's totally normal. So I could either be an artist, I could be a social worker, I could be a professor, I could do a lot of things. And I was on my way to grad school to be a professor. I wanted to be a college professor for the social work department. And said no. So I started applying for entry level social work jobs, you need a master's for most of those jobs, by the way. But I was conveniently thrown out into the industry, not only in the middle of a recession, but in a giant hiring freeze for all government related jobs in Oklahoma at the time. (laughs) (laughs) Normal, normal. Totally fine. So were you not applying for photography jobs? No, because... So I did apply for one. I take that back. I applied for one photography job. It was with a company that hires a bunch of photographers and hires a bunch of editors. And they work in a cool like loft downtown. And they like go out and shoot weddings. And then they come back in their hole and edit. And so I did apply for that 
And I think when I got like my second or third callback, I just didn't go because I just didn't like the vibe. And I didn't, I am a control freak and I have too many opinions. And so I didn't You do have a lot of opinions. I didn't think that was going to go over well. So I was applying for, I applied for that one photography job. I applied for a lot of government related jobs and I ended up working at part-time at a bakery because that's what I did in college. And so I was like, well, I had to have money somehow. (laughs) And so then I saw, okay, well, maybe I'll start a cupcake business because that's logical. You are so ridiculous. I know. I know. Dumb, ridiculous. I don't know. It could go either way. And so I did. I started it. I got my EIN. I got my bank account. I did my cards. I get my website. So I, official. I was official. And so I started baking cupcakes in the back of my uncle's restaurant and hit the ground running and would deliver cupcakes to businesses around downtown. So they would order for their like Christmas baskets for customers and stuff. And it worked. Like honestly, it was working. And I was selling cupcakes. I was doing custom orders for parties and custom orders for corporate events. And it was awesome. I was just hated it. I just hated it. Baking a cupcake for yourself to eat it so you can eat half the batter and then actually eat the cupcake is totally different than baking like 350 cupcakes for a corporate event. So you were profitable, but miserable. Yes, yes. I was in the kitchen because I could only go in after hours because I technically didn't work there. And so the health department didn't know that I was there. Oh, yeah. How can you sell food without a health department? So that part was that part was not legit. Okay, we'll just we're gonna skip that part. (laughs) (laughs) So. I was 90% legit. The only thing I was missing was my health department card. (laughs) And so I would have to come into the restaurant after hours, which meant when the restaurant closed. So 9, 10 p.m. So I was baking cupcakes in the wee hours of the morning downtown by myself, which is so safe. And so I would leave the restaurant at, you know, two or three in the morning covered in flour and sugar and whatever. And of course I was like not knowing what I was doing. And so I was like running to Walmart in the middle of the night for extra powdered sugar, whatever. Oh my God, it was a hot mess. And so I think at that point I was like, these aren't the hours that I want. I don't want to be making cupcakes for mass consumption. I just want to make them so I can like binge eat them. So <laughs> so how, how long did you run the cupcake business before you shut the doors? I love that we still call it a cupcake business. What was it called? Did it have a name? Yeah, of course I had a name. It was called, so my nickname through my family is Lulu, L-U-L-U. Don't know why, whatever. So it was called Lou's Cupcakery. Super cute. Yeah. I didn't know that was your nickname. I've known you, I feel like for ever centuries. And I designed my own logo. You'd be really proud of me. It was super cute. And I had a website on Weebly, obviously, and no blog, no nothing yet. It was, it was a hot mess. Anyways, (laughs) so that lasted, let's see, probably, oh, eight or nine months. Until I was like, if I see another bag of powdered sugar, I'm going to throw it in someone's face. So what did you do when you got to that point? What was your next step? Yeah. So I was still working part-time at an actual bakery. Moved up. You did both? Yeah. 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 That was cool. That's fine. So I was offered manager of this bakery within like six months of working there. So you already hated baking because you did it at night, but you decided to take the manager position? No, I didn't take it. 
I was offered the management position within six months of working there, which is normally by their employee handbook, you have to be working there for five years before you can have a management position. But I'm clearly really good at my job. And so they offered it to me and it kind of caused like this, like a little bit of an uproar. And so I just politely declined and said, you know what, instead of taking that, I actually quit. And so I quit and came home. And at this time, I lived in an apartment. My boyfriend at the time had moved down and we got engaged. He's my husband now. Bless his little heart. He supported me through all of that. And so when I I hung up Lou's Cupcakery, quit the bakery all within like 30 days of each other and decided to pick up my camera and get back to what I'd been doing since I was like seven years old. And that was taking pictures of things and people. And I did that. So how did that get started? Did you have clients right away? Were you making any money? Was it any more legit than the bakery business? It was less legit because I I thought, okay, well, the cupcakery failed. So that means I'm just going to wait until this proves to me that it's going to be legit before I make it legit. So I didn't file anything, didn't get a bank account, didn't get business cards, didn't do anything. I was shooting for free like every photographer does. I put up a backdrop in the guest room of our house and put my little cousin in front of it and took pictures and like literally for free. If they wanted prints, I would just get them through a lab and she would pay cost. So like six cents a print. I and mean, it was awesome. And so she would post them on Facebook and I got a couple referrals through her. I got a couple referrals through my husband's work. And so I started charging those people. I was like, okay, well, you're not family. So I'm going to charge you. So how much you charge them? 75 bucks. So I went from zero to $75, which is a dramatic increase in price. But how long were you spending with these clients? <laughs> so booking probably one to two hours to schedule the appointment, two to three hours in the session, probably 10 hours editing because I was not good at it. And then I would put everything on a disc and we would like meet at Target or something and I would deliver, hand deliver their disc for $75. All of that for $75? Yeah, it's called all inclusive. That's what you do. Oh my gosh. Okay. So obviously slap in the face, like you get that and you're like, oh, okay. So I'm making less than minimum wage, like way, 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 I don't even, I don't negative. I'm making negative money. Like (laughs) probably. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what made you kind of snap out of it? Luckily, I don't necessarily know. Actually, I do know exactly what made me snap out of it. Luckily, it happened very quickly. So I was working for free for a year, and then I charged $75. My very first client that came in at $75, I had also worked for her for free before. So this was the first time she was paying $75 ever with me. And I tried to do a kind of in-home session premiere. Like I took over my iPad and like showed her everything, and she just wasn't having it. She was not used to that experience because that's not what I was providing her before. She wanted like wham, bam, thank you, I'm out. I'm, I just want my images and I'm done. And so she actually had more of a negative response the more value I was trying to provide for her because that's not the client she was. And so I left her house with $75, which is the most I had ever made from a session. And I felt like shit. I felt taken advantage of. I felt like she didn't value my work. I felt like even though I had obviously gotten better because I had been shooting her over and over again, that she hated those images. I didn't feel like I was good at my job. 
It was so icky. It wasn't even funny. And so at that point, I was like, okay, well, I can keep applying for jobs that aren't even calling me back. I can take that management position at a bakery, or I can like try to actually make this legit. And so I had another session booked two weeks later from a client I had never shot before. And they were from a completely different friend of a friend referral. And so she didn't know what I had already done before. So in that two weeks, I made a completely new website, ordered business cards, ordered samples, redid everything on my website, made a sales process, researched what a sales process even was, researched how people could actually make money as a photographer and implemented a ton of different strategies like in-person sales and like creating an experience, which I can definitely go over specifically later. And in two weeks, obviously didn't learn a new skill, did not buy a new camera, no new lenses, shot this family, implemented all the stuff that I had just learned and walked out of their house with $1,500. That's incredible. Like, that's so awesome. So I was like, ah! <laughs> that's really awesome. So I want to know a little bit more about that research you did. Where did you go about finding this information? Was there any particular entrepreneurs you were looking at? Like, who was inspiring you to try a totally different method? Yeah. So what I realized I needed to stop doing was looking at other people who got a DSLR for Christmas and were shooting for $75. Those were not the people turning photography into a business. And so I looked at, yes, photographers, but I also looked at photographers who had then turned that skill into a business. So like Rachel Brinke is the law talk. And so she works very closely with photographers making sure they're legal and they're great, but she knows that industry really well. There's a local photographer, Madison Bining, who would build a six-figure photography business in Tulsa, shooting and editing and just doing the in-person sales process. She had a blog, an amazing blog where she taught. She had a Facebook group that I could join and learn. And I asked all of the questions. I basically took every single step of her sales process that she did and tweaked it and implemented that same thing two weeks later. And it showed me those same results. So let's talk a little bit about those in-person sales processes. Like what did you change about your client experience to, and also not only what did you change, but how could someone apply this that isn't necessarily a photographer? Yeah. So basically the basis of in-person sales, I call it that still because you're creating this personal experience. It doesn't mean you literally have to be in the same room with that person. The basis of it is creating an experience where you're answering all of their questions before they can even ask. You're providing them so much value that they feel good about their decision and they feel confident in whatever it is that they're buying from you. They're getting a lot of hand-holding from you and they're being offered a literal experience experience in their entire process. So that could look anything like pre-educating them on your website through different pages, telling them what to inspect to invest with your services, explaining why your process is the way that it is on your blog. So that could be anything from a photographer to a wedding planner, to a designer, to a calligrapher. Every single one of those industries has a process and every single one of those industries with their process, their customer is wondering, where is my money at these different phases of the process? When you take it, what happens next? before we do anything, how do we make sure that we're the right fit? What's the quality of the materials that you're using? All of those are the same and all of those questions your clients and your customers have. And so I started answering those on my blog and on different pages of my website. I would make a pricing guide that I would deliver to them. I just did it via email, but I've seen a lot of people do it really well via print. And so they would 
buy very, very, really nice quality magazines and get all the information printed about what it's like to work with them and why they, you know, especially if you're a photographer, why do you only shoot in the golden hour? What lenses do you use? Why do you shoot this certain way to educate your clients? And so I started doing stuff like that. And then when it came to the booking time, I again, just made it more personal, very similar to you when you took people on coffee dates, I took people on coffee dates or picked up the phone to talk to them as soon as I got that inquiry on my website of hey, I want to book a session. I'm not no longer doing that conversation via email because it takes so many emails to set a date and set a preference and you know, what are you looking for? I would immediately just call them, figure out what did their dream session look like? I wanted them to paint that picture for me. What was their outcome that they were expecting? So I could know if I could provide that or not. So then when we're moving to the actual working and doing the work for a photographer, it's in the actual session and it's in the editing process. For someone else, it might just be doing proofs and doing mock-ups of what their final project might look like, but it was including them in that process as much as I could. So in the session, showing them shots on my camera in the session of what they could expect to see, I would find a really good one that got the light really well. And I would be like, oh my gosh, this would look really good as a 20 by 24 canvas in that gallery wall that you want in your dining room. They had never talked about having a gallery wall in their dining room, but I know it would look super good. And so I'm going to suggest it. And so now they're visualizing what that thing is going to look like in its final outcome. Because we have to remember that our customers don't know what they want ever. They cannot visualize the final outcome of what it is. Do you need to sell them an entire custom invitation suite with hand-lettered envelopes and vintage stamps and a certain type of paper for their wedding invite? They don't know that. They don't know that all of that maybe should come in a set, so you should suggest that. They don't know all the bits and pieces that can be added on, so that's our job to do that. So I, I started to do that more often. Well, I think the cool thing with that is especially, I mean, for you, it was a little bit different. I feel like photographers have like a little bit different process because obviously someone's booking, you're shooting, and then the selling is really after. But for some industries, you have to do the selling in advance of doing the project. Yeah. And so I think it's really all about painting the picture of yes. what it will be like, regardless yes. of what it is. Because I know for me, once you kind of taught me your strategies, I was so shocked how much easier it was to get a yes and like very immediately and then get paid very yes. immediately. And it wasn't that I was doing the work in advance. I wasn't like mocking up a logo to prove to them that I could do their logo. I was just showing them other projects I had done and like proving to them that I was a good fit and talking about like the value of what this will do for their business. Talking about when you have a logo, here's now what you can do. And here's complimentary products. And here's what my past client just did. And she was able to book this thing or she, you know, whatever the results, it's always the yeah. results. And so painting that picture for your clients and customers really gets them excited to buy stuff from you, whether it be pre-sale or after the sale. And so I just started to spine holes of where that was missing and do it and like do it times 10. Want to learn exactly step-by-step -step how to get paid to generate leads in your business? I've kept these details to myself for far too long. I'm ready to spill everything and give you the exact steps that help me generate tens of thousands of qualified leads and millions in low-ticket digital product sales. I won't just show you what I did, but teach you how you can do it too. I'm talking not just how to create low-ticket digital products, but also showing you how to use them strategically to generate leads for your other existing or future offers. I'm sharing it all at bossproject.com jumpstart, including exactly how I made $8,033 and generated 277 leads my very first month selling digital products. 
Find out more at bossproject.com slash jumpstart. When it comes to hiring, don't go searching for the one. Just meet your match with Indeed. Get unparalleled access to job seekers with over 350 million unique monthly visitors globally, according to Indeed data, and an extended reach through Glassdoor. I love that Indeed makes it easy to hire because I'm busy enough already. When we've hired in the past, the process was full of unqualified applicants. With Indeed, we can target the right candidates for the right position. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. In the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash strategy hour. Just go to Indeed.com slash strategy hour right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash strategy hour. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Money issues are a common stressor in any relationship. Monarch Money is the top-rated personal finance app that can get you and your partner on the same page without any extra cost. Monarch has built-in collaboration features, so together you can see your finances, budget, and get insights on your cash flow. It's the easiest way to manage any household finances. I've tried other finance apps in the past, and they didn't work the way I wanted them to. I don't want to stress over finances. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com strategy. Monarch has a tool that allows you to easily import your data from Mint and keep all of your tags and categories. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to get Get set up, customize, and use. Monarch prioritizes my privacy, and they'll never sell my data to third parties. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com strategy. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash strategy for your extended 30-day free trial. So were you making the majority of your money in that session or were you making, were you having people pay a lot to book you initially? Yeah. So as a photographer, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. I always believe that I would rather make money on the back end instead of the front end. I never, ever discounted my stuff. I would always have a relatively low buy-in to book me. So my session fee ranged from $100 to $200. The only time I ever, ever, ever offered a promotion would be off that initial session fee. So that's basically you just reserving your time slot, me knowing that you've paid $200. So you're going to show up at the park on a Thursday afternoon, and I'm not going to be stood up because I had that happen before. So if you don't show up, I just made $200. That's fine. It took me an hour to get there. No big deal. But you show up, you've now committed $200. What happened, the timeline is two weeks after that session, your images would be done and they would be edited. And I would email you and say, let's, it's time to book your in-home session premiere. And that's where the magic happened. So they would see maybe one to three images teased online and on Facebook. So they would get excited about it. They would know that, okay, who she at least got one good shot from the session. So they were now pumped up to see more. So now that two or three weeks has passed before we have that in-home session premiere, that $200 is now it's gone. It's probably off that bank statement already. They don't even remember spending it. So we're going into a new session 
like debt free, right? They haven't paid anything because they they forgot about that. And so I come to this session with a gallery that's set to music that matches their personality. I bring cheesecake, I bring wine, I bring snacks. When the email before they even book it, I remind them this is kind of like an adult date night. So either get a sitter or have the kids in bed. I'll come over at 9 p.m. if that's okay. We're just going to hang out like adults and we're going to look at your pictures and you're going to love them. And then I'm going to handhold you and walk you through every single step of the ordering process. So I would bring canvases and prints and mounts and albums and stickers and all the things that I ever wanted to sell. I brought it with me physically because until we see and touch something, we don't really know what to expect and we don't really know the quality. And the labs that I was using are top-notch stuff. So I'd bring the stuff. I would let them sit and watch the gallery. They would be crying. They would be ooing and aahing. I'm kind of minding my own business in the corner and giving them a minute. And then I had a really cool app. There are two apps and we'll put the links of this in the show notes. Uproof and, oh crap, I'm going to forget the other one. Well, Preveal and a slideshow app. Can't remember what it's called. Three really good apps. The U-Proof app was actually made by a photographer from Oklahoma, so I really love it. But what was really cool about it is we would watch the slideshow, I would let them have their minutes, and then I would open the U-Proof app and we would go picture by picture and they could thumbs up it, thumbs down it, or thumbs maybe it. And so I would have them go through and just thumbs down, give me all the thumbs downs, the the pictures that you never, ever want to see ever again in your life. Let's just get them out. Usually that was like one or two, not very many. And so then we would go through and thumbs yes. And so then I would have them pick, okay, here's some gallery options. I really think this would look good over here. Let's pick what that big one's going to be. Remember the picture I showed you in the session. Here's what that would look like as that canvas. What other pictures do you want around there? So I would talk to them like they had already decided and like they had already said yes to what I'm suggesting, it was always in their power. They could always say, oh no, I don't want that. But very rarely did that happen because again, it goes back to painting the picture of what that end result could look like. So how were you able to do that without feeling slimy about it? I mean, I mean, obviously I get it. Like I've been through it, but if someone's never done this before, how do you go into it talking about, you know, this is what you're going to get in talking in the future tense of like, they've already paid you for these things? Well, I think what's interesting is that, first of all, if you just do it, you'll understand that it doesn't feel slimy because I felt more slimy leaving that $75 client's house after I had just given her everything because she wasn't reciprocating back with the oohs and the ahs and I love this and thank you so much and doing all of these things. That felt really icky and dirty to me. The in-person sales... That always went back to providing value. At the end of the day, no matter what your industry is, you have to educate your clients on why it's important to invest in you. Why is it important to invest in photography? So I would talk about that in the session on my blog, in the in-home session premiere, the confidence that raises in kids when they see pictures of themselves hanging on the walls, when they see pictures of their family together on the walls of their dining room, what that does for family morale, the lifetime span of a canvas versus a CD versus a thumb drive versus a print, what that actually means. No one knows what that means unless you're you're into it and you're a photographer. And so once I started talking about those things, and those things were not in my control, those things were the quality of my lab. And those things were simple facts. Those things were psychological studies that I would research and I found. That wasn't me making stuff up. So I was relying on third party information to just regurgitate to them and make them be like, oh my gosh, yes, you're right. Oh my gosh, yes, I need this thing then. And so they were convincing themselves because of the facts. It wasn't me saying, you need a buy this now. It was because. And so if we always focus on the because, 
I think it, it really helps that feeling go away. Well, and I think relating that to other industries, I would really think about how you can almost present case study information for whatever it is that you're selling. I mean, I don't care if it's calligraphy, you know, invitations, like the the hand lettered envelope, like how much more special people are going to feel when they get that envelope in person, like versus my tacky label that I stuck on there because I was not handwriting all the envelopes, you know, talking through what can a business do when it has a professionally designed website? What can someone walk away with if they, you know, I I can't even think of another good example, but, you know, walking through what is the value and doing the research, even if you don't have the clients yet, like you can, you don't have to use your own experience as fact. You can use other people's experience as fact. And a lot of times that's the validation you need. I feel like the sales that go in that happen because of this in-person experience are like you validating, oh yeah, by the way, I I am good enough to do this. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit more about creating a client experience. Like obviously that in-home session premiere was vital to that, but how were you sprinkling that throughout the rest of your process? Yeah. So I think it's really important to start before your client even contacts you. Start creating that experience from day one. And that can be shared on social media channels, in your newsletter, on your website, through different wordage that you use on your blog. So it goes back to wording yourself how you want to be seen. So if you want to be seen as a premium, whatever, literally using words that showcase that. So you can say the word premium, you can say specifically for photographers or people who take on a certain amount of clients per year, you could say stuff like I'm only booking five website redesign packages this quarter. Like if you say the number and if you say a limited amount, I'm only booking three weddings this year. Saying stuff like that creates a sense of urgency and it creates that how much it lets that customer and client know how much time you're spending with that person from the get go. And so you're starting to already lay the foundation of where you lay on that all inclusive, inexpensive versus premium type of industry provider. And so then you can do that further by offering that session guide. So I talked a little bit about it before, but really going into what it's like working with you. What are the processes? What are the steps? What should your clients expect after every single checkpoint in your entire process? Doing that on a page on your website, doing it in a digital format and uploading it to something like Issue, doing it in an email, it doesn't matter, but getting it out there. Having an FAQ on your website, having testimonials on your website, having some sort of just painting that picture of what it's like to work with you on your website. And then every time you talk to your people, just reiterating that, reiterating how thankful you are to be working with them, reiterating what their life is going to be like after they have whatever it is that they're getting from you and really focusing on the positive and that you can be the one to provide that. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about the sale, like the pricing, because you went from, you know, $75 to walking away with $1,500. Your product didn't change, but like, obviously you were selling them physical products. You mentioned at one point that, you know, a print might've cost you six cents, but you were turning around and I don't know how much you were charging them for it. $35. $35 for something that cost you six cents. That's incredible. So how did you kind of justify that for yourself? Because you made that transition so quickly. Like it wasn't like a, okay, it cost me six cents. Now I'm going to charge 12 cents. And <laughs> right. I'm going to charge <laughs> right. 250. Like right. six cents to $35 is a pretty ginormous jump. So what 
What kind of made you feel justified in that? Well, I think a couple things. Again, I know the value of having photography in the home. And so at that point, it's priceless. As soon as you see a picture of your kid or your spouse or your dog that you love, you would pay a million dollars for it. So I knew that part didn't really matter. I also knew I wanted to position myself as a premium photographer because I wanted to to rise above the noise of all of the photographers in my area. And I wanted to do that with that experience and the quality materials that I was providing. And so I did research labs first. I made sure that the product that I was charging a significant amount for would stand the test of time. So everything I offered was economically produced in the United States. I used a lab based out of Denver. It was archival print quality, meaning it's going to last longer than you will. So I knew the quality of the stuff that I was offering. So I didn't have to justify it because of that. But honestly... What I was looking at other photographers doing who were six-figure photographers, and one of them would ask, how much do you charge for an 8x10 print? And she charged $35, so I charged $35. Because I wanted to be a six-figure photographer. I wanted to rise above the noise. And if I knew one person in Tulsa was paying for it, then 10 people in Tulsa would pay for it. So that wasn't the problem. I wanted to bring the cheesecake and bring the wine and spend the time and not be worried that I was just here for three hours after your session, after I've edited everything, spending time with your family. And so I kind of need paid back for that. And that's where that stuff comes in. But I was charging $35 for an eight by 10, but no one literally to this day, no one has ever bought an eight by 10 for me on its own because that was an eight by 10 on its own, a la carte individually. Every single sale I had ever made was in a package. So tell me about packages. What's the like, do you know any psychology around packages? Heck yeah, I do. So remember that psychology minor comes in handy. (laughs) (laughs) I started to research the literal placement of packages. Why was three the magic number? Why do people always gravitate towards the middle package? What should they be called? Should that one be your most valuable one? How to really structure those? And so what I learned was you needed to have... I chose three packages. That's generally the amount of packages that does well because you have a high, medium, and low. You need to have your low package cover your costs. You need to decide how much money do I absolutely have to make for every single session in order for me to pay the bills. So that goes back to like starting from ground zero. How much money do I need to make this year? How many sessions do I want to do? Okay, what's the base minimum price that I need to be making? If every single person spends the least amount with me, what does that need to be? And so my base package covered that ground. I decided that every single session, if I only made the smallest amount, I was making 900 bucks. So if they're buying the package... It's $700. The package is $700 because I've already made $200 from the session booking. So they're buying the least amount of package. I'm going to make $900. I'm going to be a happy camper. No big deal. But it was very obvious. It was a very small upgrade because I think my next package was $1,100 or $1,000. It was $1,000. So just $300 extra and you would get the full disc. You would get an extra canvas. You would get a free session. You would get, you know, all of these extra things. And so that middle package was where the most value was, where you were getting the most bang for your buck, because that's where I wanted people to go. And so I even called it, I think for the longest time, it was the standard package before I like got into fancy names. So it was like the mini, the standard and the elite. Like it's not rocket science. You don't have to like come up with like crazy florally terms. Those convert high higher than naming it like Daisy, Rose, like whatever. People try to get like super creative about it, but people literally see the mini package as being tiny. It's mini, it's small. 
the standard. I called it like, this is what the majority of my clients get. And it was true. It wasn't a lie. Everyone wants what everyone else wants and gets. Yeah. So that's where they're going to lead to. And the premium or the elite was just if you just feel fancy today. But those all the cart things, I called them gift prints. And so it's generally a psychology of what you're calling your things. And so I called anything below an 11 by 14 a gift print, meaning... You don't buy yourself a gift print. You gift these. You give them to grandma. You give them to coworkers. You give them to friends. You do not buy yourself an 8x10 because you are the parent or the spouse or whatever. So you buy the package and you gift the other things. That's awesome. Well, I think that's really cool because I'm thinking about packages and I think the name is so important. I, at one point, worked with a event space and so she had similar kind of package strategy and the one that people booked all the time was the bride's favorite. There you go. Like, it's the favorite. The standard the top seller, the bride's favorite, customer's choice. Like, yes. Just go with the obvious. Yes. Like, go with And then the make obvious. that the middle one. Yes. Yes. So I think that's a great strategy to have people do that. So I do kind of want to get into really quickly before we talk more strategy. Mm-hmm. I want you to tell me about when you decided, you know, yeah, this was working and working well, but like what made you step away from photography ultimately? A couple things. First of all, it's very exhausting. I feel so worn out after every session physically. I'm squatting. I'm doing weird yoga positions holding my camera. My wrist hurts. Like it's exhausting on the body to do it. But I also realized that I could continue going this way. And I was definitely full-fledged ready to be a six-figure photography business. But I was still missing nights and weekends. We still couldn't plan vacations. We still couldn't go to Kansas City or out of town on a whim because I had a session. People with families and people who get married do things on the weekends. And so ideally, it would be great to be able to shoot some stuff Monday through Friday and edit and be done. But that's just not the time frame that worked for everybody. And I was shooting in the golden hour. You know what else is at golden hour? Dinner time. And so I was realizing, okay, I can keep doing this and I could be successful at it. But as soon as we start growing our own family or wanting to do other things as a couple, this is going to be holding me back. And I didn't like that. Yeah. What did you end up doing? So I ended up teaching other photographers how to do in-person sales in their own business. And initially it was going to be just for photographers because that's what I knew from the back of my hand. And so like I do, I completely made a new website. Sounds similar. Again. Again. (laughs) Again. And decided I was going to start doing webinars because obviously never done one before in my life. And in my very first webinar, I'm going to sell something that I have never made that I hadn't even made at that point. I was like, hey, I can do this. I can teach psychology of selling and pricing and all that stuff. But before I make it, I want people to buy it. And so I hosted a webinar and sold at the end of it and sold seats. So I was like, oh, shit, now I have to go make this thing. So I did. And I loved it. I loved it. So I wanted to do more of that. And now that's what we get to do. That's so awesome. I remember you selling it actually, because I was following you online a little bit like I had like a little secret crush on you. (laughs) And you were way less legit than you appeared to be. Yes. (laughs) Way less legit than you appeared to be. But that's when I started paying attention. And then it just felt like, I don't know, Oh, I guess this is funny because later I did a webinar Mm -hmm. or I said I was going to do a webinar. Mm -hmm. 
I didn't know what I was doing. But Emily came and saved my booty because I didn't know how to run a webinar. I didn't have software for it either. And I think what's interesting is that it ties directly back into your interview where you just go with what you know is going to make you money quickly. So when I picked up my camera, I knew if I charge for this, I'm going to make money quickly. And I did. And it was fine. With teaching, I wanted to pivot my business model. I can teach pricing and I can teach psychology of selling and buying and I can teach it to creatives and I can teach it to photographers. That's what I knew I could make money on quickly. And so that's what I turned around and started doing. And it morphed from there. That's so awesome. Well, I think that's a great kind of tangent to lead into. Okay, so you you've done all of these things. And you gave people a lot of different ideas. Mm -hmm. Let's talk strategy to me. Yeah. What are your like three to five take homes from this episode? What do you think people should start implementing right away? I 100% think you should take a look at the pages on your website and your copy. Are you explaining the value of why it's important to invest in you? Maybe you need to start writing some blog posts on why it's important to hire whatever it is that you do, how long it takes to work with you, what's the turnaround, what are the quality of the materials, what are the after results, paint that picture, do it in your blog post. Do it on pages of your website so you can start that pre-education process before someone even contacts you. The next stage I would take a look at is what does it look like when someone actually contacts you and how are you getting them to book and sign? Right now, is it done just through email and you don't even talk to that person ever? Change it up, pick up the phone. Are they local? Take them to coffee, bring your contract with you and ask them to sign right then and there. Verbally do as much as you can. Get on a Skype date, get on a Google Hangout, whatever it is to make that personal connection. Because as soon as someone sees a human being, they trust you 10 times more. They can start to relate with you on a whole nother level. And I guarantee you're going to start to get your contract signed a lot faster. My third thing is quadruple your prices. (laughs) (laughs) Just that. Just that. Just quadruple. No reason. No reason. Just Just do it. I know that you should do it. What would happen? If you are creating that experience and if you're providing the value and you're showcasing the why, then automatically you're more valuable. So just after you do step one and two, quadruple your prices. I am shocked that one of your items was not tweak and repeat. Oh, well... Let's make That's it number four. That's a bonus four. item. That's a bonus Bo- item. Bonus item. Bonus Tell me what we can repeat it. Okay. So I love this one. Okay. I relied on this heavily. I still rely on this heavily, but especially in the beginning. So overhaul everything. Do everything I just told you. Do step one, two, and three, and it's fine. But what you're going to see is that if you make tiny minor pivots and changes or tiny tweaks, you can probably see even better results. And so do it now. Do the foundation. Lay it now. And then slightly tweak that. Does the wording need to be a little bit different? Do you need to rearrange your packages a little bit slightly? Do you need to change the names? Do you need to change the value of what's inside them? Do you need to change how many phone calls your client gets? Do you need to change what you're talking about on your blog? Those are all slightly little tweaks that can make that entire experience even better for your client and customer. They're not a complete overhaul. Right now, I think if we look at the sales that we're bringing in and the process that we have now, and we say, well, I'm not a good salesperson, or my clients can't afford me, or the market's too saturated, or they'll never pay me for what I'm asking. It's never those reasons. You just have to make these little tiny tweaks. And then once you find like that happy spot of that one little thing, repeat that one over and over and over again, and then slightly tweak something else. Do it. Do it. I think we're just going to always say do it. Do it. (laughs) At the end. Okay, so... Thank you so much for talking with me today. As always, you can find more information and show notes at thestrategyhour.com. And obviously, Emily and I are 
infinitely hanging out at thinkcreativecollective.com or you can find us on Instagram or all the different places. So we'd love to have you and thanks for joining us today. Bye. Bye. Looking to elevate your brand without the headache? Join the co-op, our creative template shop membership. With thousands of easy to customize templates, all crafted to seamlessly fit your business aesthetics. We make nurturing leads and driving sales effortless. We're talking serious impact and seriously simple creation. Become a member now at creativeshopcoop.com and transform your business today. That's creativeshopcoop.com. Hey, a few quick favors before you leave. I'd love if you'd share today's episode, send it to a friend who needs to hear it and post on social. You can show us where you're listening from, your favorite takeaway, or why someone else should listen. Be sure to tag me at Abigail Says and at Boss Project so we can share it. Okay, second favor. To get podcast updates and all the behind-the-scenes news from Boss Project, I'd love if you'd join my VIP list. Just head to bossproject.com slash sign up to make sure I have all your contact details. Really love this show? It would mean so much to me if you'd leave a rating and review. It not only helps more listeners find the show but allows us to bring on quality sponsors so we can keep bringing you this valuable content for free. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.